Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. The partner came to us and said, hey, I'll give you a million bucks right now. I'm only going to take 10% of your company. So you can either, you know, sell now if it, if it works or you can take my money. Imagine living your normal day and getting your car fueled up on demand. Seriously, check out LA Startup Refill Fuel and enter code WEARLATECH for $10 off. That's Refill Fuel. It's amazing. Literally, you can be anywhere and have your gas totally topped off the tank and not even have to deal with it. No more gas stations to go to refillfuel.com. That's R-E-F-I-L-L-F-U-E-L.com. Code WeRLA Tech for $10 off. We could not do this without the community believing in our vision together. We Are LA Tech is independently funded, funded by you, the community. So to support We Are LA Tech, go to patreon.com slash we are LA Tech. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash we are LA Tech. Welcome to the We Are LA Tech podcast. My name is Casey Bombay, UX consultant extraordinaire, and I'm guest hosting the podcast while Esprit is out getting things done. We are getting the podcast done in here today. I'm going to be interviewing Jason Kiesel from uh, founder and CEO of CitySource. Awesome. Jason, tell me a little bit about CitySource, what it is and, and what do you do? So CitySource, essentially, uh, it's an app uh, and I like to best describe it as City Hall in the palm of your hand. Awesome. So we essentially build applications on behalf of local governments, uh, cities and counties all over the United States. We actually have some international customers as well. But if you think about uh, all the interactions that you would normally do at City Hall, um, pay a parking ticket, register your dog, uh, your pet license, uh, request uh, trash services, et cetera. We do all that through an app and we're, do- we're trying to make that experience more like an Uber uh, or Yelp experience. Cause as we all know, dealing with local government is not exactly the easiest thing in the world. Right. We are trying to simplify that and make it uh, much more pleasant for those to, to go ahead and do that. Great. And so do you guys, you're working directly with local government. So you're actually building the apps on behalf of them. Yeah. We actually manage the apps uh, in the stores for them. We have a platform on which we uh, build and allow them to add additional functionality into the plat uh, into the, Kind of offering this that the citizens see, but yeah, we essentially are a, a mobile platform a SaaS company based Very here cool. in LA. Very cool. And how long have you guys been around? Uh, so we launched at TechCrunch 50 uh, in 2009. Okay. Uh, we did very well. We placed third. Um, nice. I thought we would win. Uh, we were <laughs> kind of the underdog. No one really expected us to to do well. Uh, but we, when we presented on stage, it was very well received and. And uh, it was great being up there on the finalist stage and uh, taking third place there. So very cool. And so from there, how did uh, what was kind of the the history? How did it go? I mean, was it like instant, like oh, we're so famous now, or you know what I mean, or was it? Uh, <laughs> it felt like that a little bit. Um, it it was very overwhelming, actually. I when I just to give you a little bit of background, um, I created City Sourced uh, really out of a kind of a pet project. 
Um, the company that I was heading up at the time was more focused on political uh, kind of endeavors. We, it was a nonprofit uh, political social network. So it was all about discussing bills and legislations and politicians and, and whatnot. And I created an app to complain to my local government. You know, we had this huge yeah. database of politicians. And I said, well, why not just build an app where we can send all the stuff to them directly? Yeah, bombard them directly. <laughs> and so I, I created the app and, and it was a proof of concept. And I showed it to my buddy, Tyler Crowley. Um, I don't know. He's pretty well known here in the LA tech scene. He was Jason Calacanis' right-hand man. He ran This Week in Startups for him for a while. Um, now does stuff over in Stockholm, Sweden. He has his own launch conference. Cool. But I went to high school with him. Oh, nice. Uh, and grade school. So I happened to see him at a Digital LA event. And I said, hey, check this out. It's, about, you know, it's this, my new concept app. I showed it to him and he, he flipped out. He's like, oh my gosh, you got to get this into TechCrunch. And I'm like, TechCrunch is like four weeks away. Right. And I'm like how do you expect me to get this in there? I haven't applied. And he's like, D don't worry about it. Just come on down. We'll sh let me show this to Jason uh, Calacanis uh, tomorrow. Uh -huh. um, he said, put together a little video, uh, et cetera. So I went down there. I showed it to Jason. He immediately kind of got it, um, what we were trying to do. Yeah. Um, and he said, let's shoot a, uh, an email up to Michael Arrington of TechCrunch. Uh -huh. They were partners at the time and see what he thinks. And so I, I basically, you know, showed him the video, showed him the app. I did a little quick demo. He loved it. And so we got uh, alternate status. Apparently somebody dropped out like three days later. And oh, wow. so we were in. So we had like three and a half weeks to prepare for this massive, massive. conference. Right. <laughs> Being on stage in front of like 2,000 people live. I think there were 30,000 people on the live stream watching. Yeah. Um, and this was kind of in the heyday, like Mint had launched the year before so oh, okay. there was a lot of buzz around sure and i didn't really know i was like just some stupid guy that had an app and i was like you know i'm all of a sudden i've got the britney spears mic on and i'm on stage and the lights and it was uh it was pretty crazy but you know we we launched on stage the crowd loved it michael errington flipped over it um and kind of once we left the stage all craziness ensued so we were approached by sequoia and all the major VCs. We never ended up getting a deal done with them. We, we kind of went the angel route okay, and uh, raised money that way. But uh, it, it was quite a crazy experience. And what was the reason for choosing angels over VCs? So, the, well, I mean, VCs have their own ideas. So when we went and talked to Sequoia, they, they liked the concept. They liked the idea, but they didn't think the market opportunity was big enough. Um, they, they wanted to see us target more of the soccer moms and those with disposable income and I talked to Roloff both over there. He's a great guy, super smart. And it just wasn't really a fit gotcha. at the time. Yeah. Um, and we had some angel investors uh, immediately come on board. We raised 250 on a convertible note mm -hmm. and then closed a million from a super angel. Nice. A um, couple of years later. Uh -huh. So, you know, all told, I think we've taken 1.3, 1.4 in financing, but right. we hit profitability back in 2013. So we're awesome. Congratulations. We're doing pretty well now. So, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, um, yeah, it's interesting, uh, you know, when you go to VCs and, and VCs versus angels, you know what I mean? You have the VCs going to have a, a market they're trying to hit mm -hmm. and they're looking for something just close enough to, you know, be like, oh, I think we could tweak this, you know what I mean? Yeah. With the right amount of money. Exactly. And, and I think it's important to maybe you could just speak to, uh, you know, other startup guys of say, basically saying like, you know, 
how did how did you make the decision to not compromise? So it's actually interesting that our road to financing was was an interesting one. Um, we actually had a buyout offer early on in 2010 mm-hmm. um, that spurned uh, a partner of ours to look at us and say, "Hey, do you want to sell? Is this right for you?" And it was, you know, for where we were at the time, I think we only had about a quarter million in total revenue at the time. Yeah. Um, it was a pretty sweet deal. I mean, we're talking like a 10, 12 X multiple Ooh, on nice. revenue. So it was, it was very nice. Um, actually it might even be more than that. Um, I won't disclose the actual asking price, but it was, <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah. Um, especially having only a year and a half, you know, under the belt right. and, and doing what we we're doing. Um, but the, the partner came to us and said, Hey, I'll give you a million bucks right now. I'm only going to take 10% of your company. So you can either, you know, sell now if it, if it works or you can take my money. Yeah. And we kind of went back, uh, thought about things and we decided that we were going to take, uh, the investor's money mainly because we did see the opportunity for growth. Yeah. Uh, ourselves. Um, the VCs, whenever you talk to them, it's always about, <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit classic, but you kind of hear it all the time and it's, well, you're not the billion dollar idea. Right. And that's essentially what we got. I mean, I, I met with probably 20 or 30 VCs, you know, Mark Suster, one of them here. It was GRP at the time. It's now up front, you know, super smart guy. Uh, love what he writes about. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he basically said, look, you've got to get your ACV, your average contract value up to 60,000 uh-huh. um, for us to really see this as a marketable play. Interesting. Um, because at the end of the day, VCs have, you know, they have investors, they have LPs, yep. and they've got to hit certain numbers. And statistics don't lie. I mean, I think it's like two out of every 10 hit, right, yeah. on a VC, yeah. uh, you know, portfolio. Eight, you know, die on the vine. And out of those two, one may be like the unicorn. Yeah. So out of all the investments they take, they have to be very, very careful. If you're just a two to three X exit for them, yeah. like it's a, it's a win, but it's not really a win. Yeah. They really want somebody that's going to be that 10 X yeah, player. Exactly. And if you're willing to go that route and have that pressure applied, then by all means, take the VC money. One of our competitors took VC money, yeah. um, but she was replaced six months down the road because she wasn't yeah. doing, wasn't going to get to the next, she level. wasn't getting the revenue that they wanted. And they said, okay, well, we're going to step in. And put, I think they put in a LinkedIn executive in her place. Yeah. So, you know, you, you give up a lot for the chance, but if you believe in yourself and you think you can do it, by all means, go for it, you know, um, because, you know, 30% of a hundred million is worth a lot more than a hundred percent of nothing. Exactly. As somebody always said. Yeah. Right. Exactly. hundred percent. nothing. Yeah. I think that's, it's, it's a unique thing in the world today of, you know, making companies just to exit. Yeah. And, and the, the investor that gave us the million, the super angel, he was very clear. He's, he basically said, go build your business. You know, don't be beholden to anyone. He didn't take a seat on the board. He didn't do anything really. I mean, he just gave us the money and said, go, you know, you're not getting any more. So if it runs out, it runs out. Yeah. Uh, go build a profitable business, build a real business and, you know, kind of be the master of your own destiny. Yeah. So with that, we did. And now we're doing, uh, you know, well over uh, seven figures in ARR 
at this Great. point. So, you know, when we've, I think we've grown organically now to 11 full-time employees and awesome. Yeah, we're, we're doing really well. So it was good advice, very sage advice. And I would say to any entrepreneurs out there, if you have the opportunity to bootstrap and it can be done, if you can fund your company with customer, you know, with, with customers and revenue, do it by all means. Like it, it, it's, you're going to be so much better for it. It's a lot of learning involved. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great experience. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. So. And you had a, a, I mean, a number of really, really great successes uh, in a row, you know I mean? Which is fantastic. Of course. What, um, you know, it's, it's the failures we learn the most from mm-hmm. what along the way, have you had a couple memorable failures that you can be like, uh, that, this was really bad, but we got through it. So, I mean, even with city source, we had hard times, right? I mean, our investor gave us the money. We had limited amount of resources, you know, to be fair, I probably made some bad management choices along the way. Sure. Um, hiring up and, and paying large salaries before we were ready to, uh-huh. you know, and, and with any startup, you know, you don't want the cost to out, you know, outrun the, the inflows, the outflows and the inflows, right? I mean, yep. kind of bottom line it. Uh, Mark Schuster once said at an event, I was attending. He said, every company fails for this very same reason. They all run out of money. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. he, that's where they, they, or they go IPO. Yeah. I mean, but, he, but even the IPOs that, you know, yeah. when they go bankrupt, exactly. They run out of money right. at the end of the that's day. The bottom right. Line, yeah. And that's, that's what happens. So if you're very careful about managing your cash flow, um, which I was and wasn't, I mean, I, we did all right, yeah. but there was a time where we had to cut the workforce down to a skeleton crew uh-huh. to keep it going. And we did. And once we kind of pushed through that, the pain of having to do that, uh, you know, the business really started to grow and take off. Yeah. So it was, and those are, yeah, that's a great, uh, a great example of making the hard decisions to keep the business going. You know what I mean? Of yeah. Trimming the fat, you know what I mean? And obviously, you know, that's a sort of a harsh term because, those are people, are you know people what I mean? yeah. employees with families and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, making those, and I said, that's, that, that, that's what makes it so hard is being able to know when you have to trim some things to keep it lean, to keep it moving forward. And, and I encourage every, you know, uh, entrepreneur to, to, like you said, keep, keep the start at the bootstrap mentality as, yeah. as long as possible. If you can get all the way to break even or profitable, you know what I mean? By bootstrapping that's going to be far better, better than just starting in a hole and trying to dig yourself oh, out sure. over the, and, um, and we got lucky. I mean, there was a, there was a time, it was around 2011 where, um, we were kind of doing our thing and, and we had a customer through that partner, through that angel investor, um, kind of drop into our laps and we were able to, you know, it was a $300,000 deal. Yeah. So we were able to kind of essentially use that money to fund additional development. Yeah. And we always, we always like to say that it's, it's best that development is funded by customers. Exactly. Right. If, uh, uh, you know, most folks take money to either build product or grow sales teams or, or what have you, uh, we weren't in that position. So we, we had nothing else to do, but rely on customers to fund our development. And, you know, we, we had some big wins. So that, that certainly helped along the way. Yeah. And how do you, so after you guys got the tech crunch, did you begin to, 
did government start kind of contacting you? Did you go to government? That's, and that's kind of a, yeah. a pretty lengthy process too to get can be. government approval, depending, yes. on, depending on who you know, maybe, I it guess. De- <laughs> uh, it depends. I mean, it's, it's actually, uh, that was actually a lot of the pushback that we got from institutional money, right? Mm-hmm. The VCs would say, well, your sales cycle is going to be so long. Uh, in actuality, the sales cycle isn't that long. Um, it's on average four to six months. Okay. Um, but we've had deals close in three weeks. Sure. So it, it really depends on who the buyer is. It depends on uh, the department that's buying. We typically go through public works. Uh-huh. So public works handles like, you know, uh, street sweeping, yeah. and, you know, statues, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. They call it all street furniture. <laughs> Really? Yeah. So like fire hydrants and park benches, it's all street furniture. Like they got a Sim City or something. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so it, it depends on your buyer. I mean, you get, um, you know, as far as uh, the procurement cycle, it could, you know, it can be around six months. But uh, there are sometimes city statutes mm-hmm. that have a threshold. So if the, if X contract is over 10,000, it must be approved by council. Yeah. So you got to work through those challenges. There's budgeting cycles that you got to be aware of. Right. Um, most governments have a budgeting cycle that ends in, ends in June, starts okay. in July. Yep. So uh, ironically, Florida has a lot of cities that end uh, Q3. So right. their budgeting cycle starts, um, I believe, October 1st. So, you know, there's some odd things you kind of learn along the way, but uh, sales cycle was definitely something we got pushed back on. It turns out they were wrong. Um, That's good to know. I think the sales cycle is long if you're selling a $2 million product. Sure. Right? Like an SAP, yeah. you know, ERP system or, a, you know, huge Microsoft Dynamics uh, implementation where costs can go, you know, easily into seven figures. Yeah. There you're going to look at, you know, 18 to 24 months procurement. But with a product like ours where our purchase price is, you know, anywhere from 10000 to fifty to 60000 Yeah. Um, you know, it, the, you, can, you can get it down pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. And how do you go about, I mean, are, the government's usually are posting, you know, sure. uh, RFPs, requests for proposals. Out we prefer website. not to do RFPs. Yeah. <laughs> so you go to the government and say, hey, this yeah, is we, what we can do for you. Yeah. And, we go direct. We have an in, uh, in-house sales team that um, we've built up over the years. And it's essentially just like any other SaaS business um, where you're selling to enterprise. Yeah. You know, you identify the key stakeholders and the key buyers and, and you know, target them via email and calls and, you know, sell your solution, sell the value yeah. and, and what you bring to their organization. Yeah. So, Do you have any favorites? Any favorite customers or favorite uh, results? from customers um yeah well i mean as far as some big customers that we have honolulu is a is a big customer yeah, so you uh, have to do a lot of travel there i'm I, sure it's funny a lot we, of on-site so, visits we're very big in the caribbean ironically it's really it's, uh, yeah we, we have uh, the island of bermuda also the nice. island of the bahamas trinidad and tobago we're all customers so cool we may have to do a city source retreat right yeah down there and Make sure everything's working. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> go on site and, and make sure everything's kosher. Exactly. So, yeah. Very cool. Were you born and raised in LA? I was born and raised in San Diego. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Actually, Escondido, which is yep. uh, North San Diego County. Yep. So I, I came up to LA in 1992. Okay. Uh, entering my freshman year of college at UCLA. Okay. Uh, but I, yeah, I've been here 20, uh, 20 some odd years. So okay. I've been in LA. I consider LA my home. Sure. Yeah. And where, uh, where in LA is city sourced? 
City, we're in West LA, so we're right where Sawtell meets uh, Santa Monica Boulevard. Oh, perfect. I know exactly yeah. where that is. Um, why did you choose LA? Uh, well, I chose LA because I've I essentially lived here after college. Uh-huh. Um, Post college, I I got into the tech business, so I was basically ninety six, ninety seven, um, pre dot com bubble, mm-hmm. uh, and it really started. My degree is actually in psychobiology, okay. so I have a a, a bachelor of science in a in essentially a core science uh, field. Um, but after college, I wanted to wait. I was pre med, so I wanted to wait to get you know apply to medical school. I didn't want to jump right into it. it was, I knew it was going to be you know, seven, eight years more schooling. And I'm like, oh, I need a break here. You know, yeah. I'm sick of, sick of school. Right. So during that year, I essentially built out, uh, websites for folks. Okay. And that essentially just ballooned. And I essentially just became a, a consultant yeah. doing, uh, web development, uh, early on and then eventually migrating to back end. Nice. So, and through all that, I got a gig um, at MySpace, worked there for three years in their heyday. That nice. was that was awesome. That was an incredible experience seeing them grow from. I think, I think they when I joined they were basically thirty five million users, uh-huh. and they were adding ten million users per month. Wow! And it was just like they'd have a party every time they hit ten million new users. <laughs> I don't think ten million. And then they'd have parties too much, like too often, and so uh, Tom was like, "I think we need to scale it back the parties." So yeah. We'll only have them every 50 million. <laughs> yeah. They... <laughs> it was, it was fun though. I was back when they were still over on, uh, I think Broadway or ocean. Uh huh. They, they butted up against third street promenade over here in Santa Monica. So that was uh-huh. nice. You walk downstairs and you're like in the promenade. So you could, that's fun. You get lunch anywhere. It's, you know, it's good, good little scene. Yeah. So what, uh, what do you guys see for growth for the company? What's kind of your plan for the next five, 10 years? So it's an interesting question. Uh, for a long time, we've been a single-use app, uh, primarily centered in the public works space around service requests. I don't know if you're familiar with 311. Yep. So around 90 cities in the United States have 311. It's basically you dial it on your phone, uh, and you can get anything answered by yeah. the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with those services is that they're very costly. Um, so it was pioneered by New York. Um, and they actually have kind of the essentially the premier three one one system in the world. At least they've that, that's what the industry says. And you can call them up and say, "When's the Yankee game playing?" And they'll tell you. So, uh-huh. like, they'll tell literally tell you anything about what's going on in the city. Interesting. Um, it's essentially nine one one for non emergency right. issues. So anything yes. non emergency related, you would call three one one, and they would give you an answer. Well, it turns out call centers are expensive. Yeah. Uh, the software to run call centers are expensive. So we built uh, a digital version of that that's app-based cool. and software-based. Um, for New York City. Not for New oh. York, I wish. Uh, <laughs> I think they spent $8 million bucks on their their app, ironically, oh, yeah. which, you know, I think we were to, if you use our, our pricing, they would they would be six figures a year. So it'd be huge cost savings for them. But yeah. You know, maybe they'll give us a call. Yeah. Uh, so I guess 311 is who we primarily target now. Uh-huh. Um, what we're shifting towards and what we're looking to do in the future and what we're really excited about is the notion of what I said earlier, city hall in the palm of your hand. Yeah. 
So instead of it being just a single-use app where you report service requests through the phone, we're essentially building out a platform where you can do anything. Yeah. Um, we're going to be opening it up to developers, third-party apps. Okay, cool. Um, and all of that stems from what we call App Sprawl. So, yeah. you know, the city of LA actually has, I think, 26 or 27 departments that handle city services. Yeah. Many of them have their own app. So if you want to report a streetlight outage, you download the streetlights app and yeah. down and report it there. If you want to report something else, you download another app and yeah. report it there. Um, we call that app sprawl. And part of what we're doing with our customers is educating them on uh, their mobile strategy, right? You know, we, we think and we feel the best strategy for cities is one app to rule them all. Cool. Right. There should be a single point of, uh, of authority yeah. for the city. It's okay to have other apps. And if you follow kind of the Facebook model of Facebook being the core, but then you've got messenger and moments and a couple other, yeah. you know, feature apps as we call them. Uh, but most everyone uses the Facebook app. Um, and that's their primary mechanism for interacting with Facebook. We believe that to be similar with cities, there will be one app, and everything you do will be done through that app. Um, you can easily turn on and off apps, like uh, tiles is one of the things we call them. So if I've got an app that I want to deploy in the mobile app as a developer, I can, I can upload that, package it up, and it gets deployed automatically. You know, something like snow removal, for instance, right? Sure. It only happens in the winter. You yep. don't want that in there all the time. So right. you pull it out when needed and put it back in when needed. Um, so... Moving forward, that's what we're really looking at. And that's, you know, a massive market in our opinion. You know, you, you basically go from, you know, one application that you're selling to the city to three to four applications that you're selling to the city. Yeah. And, and we are seeing it in our growth. You know, we're, our average contract value um, was around 15000 mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. Now it's over thirty. That's great. So, and it's, you know, we're offering more value through the platform. And that's where we see a lot of the growth happening. Yeah. Did you do the city of LA's? We did not. Okay. Um, we have some cities in LA. We've got, uh, Glendale, mm-hmm. um, Rancho Palos Verdes, you know, there's a, kind of an, I don't, we have over a hundred customers. So yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay. List them all off, off the top of your head. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, uh, Specifically in the city of LA, what uh, LA tech companies or talent have you come across that have really impressed you? So I, I thought about this. This is Esprit kind of gave me the heads up on this. So I was thinking about this last night. One of the guys that I've worked with a lot, he was actually our partner manager um, at Esri. I don't know if you guys, yep. if you know about Esri, they're I a do, massive yeah. GIS geospatial software company. They I majored in geography. Oh, you did? Yeah. So you definitely know Esri. Literally urban GIS. Yeah. That's, Esri is all there is. <laughs> that's actually our investor is Jack Dangerman. Oh, okay. With Esri. Awesome. Um, we Which did, is a great name, by the way. Yeah. Jack Dangerman. Dangerman. <laughs> <laughs> almost almost uh, uh, spy-like. Yeah. Um, so Miles Sutherland, he was our partner manager over at Esri. He's the one that found us and introduced us to Esri and the Esri ecosystem. Uh, he has since started his own company called Groundview. Okay. Um, obviously, it's spatial uh, related. 
right? It's location-based. But essentially what he does and what he's done is most, it, it all centers around essentially capturing data yeah. for a city. Uh, I don't know, you know, you, you think about the Google uh, Maps car, right? Yep. With the big bulb Camera. thing on the top and yeah. the thing spinning around. So most data collected in a city kind of on that level is done through LiDAR, you know, uh, laser-based, uh, you know, 3D models that are created from this stuff. Yeah. Um, well, what Miles has been able to do is actually use a standard camera mm. to get a lot of that information out. So he can essentially strap a camera to the top of a car, uh-huh. drive it down every single street, and capture just as much data as these, you know, these multi-million dollar, right. you know, devices, devices can. Yeah. Um, and it's super accurate. I think he told me it's accurate within 10 centimeters. Wow. As far as like, as he drives down shooting camera, like shooting photos, if there's a street light in one of the photos and they tag it, they get the X, Y coordinate of that street light to within about 10 centimeters. Wow. It's it's unbelievably (laughs) insane. And he's doing it all from photos. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Pretty cool. Yeah. Called ground view. Ground view. Yeah. So that's a company. Uh, if you have one ask of the community, the LA tech community, oh, wow. what is it that you would ask them? The thing, one of the things we struggle with the most is hiring, okay. right? Yeah. You know, finding talent. Um, a lot of our talent is, is not in LA, uh, simply because we can't, you know, either pay scales are different or, um, availability is, is different. Um, but, Hiring is a, a big problem for us. So I don't know if there's anyone out there trying to solve that problem, but finding essentially vetted talent mm-hmm. um, within a certain price range. No recruiters, please. I'm not a big person uh-huh. about recruiting. I get hit up by them on LinkedIn all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, but if somebody could solve that problem, I would I would definitely pay for that. You know, and there's like ZipRecruiter and Workable and all these yeah. to help you manage the hiring process. But I, there may not be a solution for this, but it is so difficult to essentially look at a resume and determine whether or not like this is person is a good fit. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It really needs to be a referral based. Like I'm going to call my buddy over at Scopely Anker, their CTO and say, Hey, we're looking for this kind of a guy. Do you know anyone? Yeah. And he's going to give me a reco and I'm going to follow up. And that's probably who I'm going to hire if they, if they're available. Yeah. Right. So, you know, LA tech world, if you're out there, somebody develop a solution that solves that problem. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to talk to you. Heck, we'd even pay for it. So, yeah. Which I think is a, is a big deal too. Yeah. Uh, this, the whole, I think, I mean, I think every company in LA struggles with it, right? You're you're trying to, you know, find talent, you know, some people don't want to be full-time employees. They want to be contractors. Right. That's fine. You know, that's a lifestyle. I did that lifestyle for a long time. It served me very well. Yeah. Um, but I think we're a pretty cool place to work for, you know? Yeah. We've got ping pong. Right. What, what more do you need, right? Snacks, Coke, <laughs> Red Bull. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I have one more question uh, as we close here. What is the solution for the DMV? <laughs> oh, my, so that's a state issue. Yeah, um, yeah right. And we, it, Are you going to do state source? Is that the next level up? <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're, we're actually talking to a lot of states, uh, and, you know, we have a, we have a hire that actually, uh, a VP of business development, that that's all he does is yeah. kind of go after high level deals, partners, et cetera. So, um, there are a lot of problems to be solved 
in government in what we call GovTech. That's yeah. essentially the space we're in. It's called GovTech. Right. Um, you think about the inefficiencies that are in government, DMV being one of them. There are definitely some solutions out there yeah. um, that could be built. None of them exist, but they right. could be built. Yeah. Um, you know, why do I need to carry around a physical ID? Yeah. When I carry my phone around on me all the time. Yeah. Right. You think about your driver's license. You think about your, you know, I'm going fishing up in Montana, uh, next week. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you got to get a fishing license. Right. Why can't I just have that delivered on my phone into my Apple wallet yeah. and show the ranger when he comes by and says, Hey, you know, you yeah. guys got papers and yeah, man, here it is. Exactly. You know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, market opportunity. So all the VCs out there that said there wasn't any market opportunity, they're dead wrong. Right. You know, local government spends $60 billion a year on IT. Six zero B billion. with a B. Uh, that's billion. Yeah. So there is a lot of opportunity. Not all that is straight up software. Yeah. But that's a, yeah, that's a massive opportunity in anyone's mind. So yeah. plenty of room to grow. Exactly. Exactly. So we're, you know, we've got some feelers out on the state level for stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I wish I did have a solution for the DMV. That would be very nice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Jason, well, thanks for coming in and talking to us about City Sourced. Wish you all the best. Thanks and, for having uh, me. Yeah. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. We Are LA Tech is independently funded by the community. We couldn't make this happen without your support. If you too want to contribute to We Are LA Tech and see us making the podcast, building the mobile apps, creating the events year after year, consider contributing at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash We Are LA Tech. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.